When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Welcome in Friday edition, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. Buck Sexton is soon going to be headed to Scotland. I think he's doing today's show in a kilt in New York City as uh, as we all get ready for uh, that departure. Are you excited to get on the plane and head to Scotland? I, I've promised Carrie that I'm not going to put on a kilt the first day. But I make no promises about the rest of my time there. I may ask a lot of strangers where I can get the best haggis. I'm excited. Have you ever had haggis before? I've never been to Scotland. I never had haggis. I've really never even been to the UK before, which is so. This is real first time. So I made like a stopover on the way to Eastern Europe when I was like 13, and I was in London for basically a day. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't really count. I, mean, I don't even remember it. So uh, I'm excited, man. I, I, I've seen Braveheart so many times that I can basically do any scene from the movie at this point. Like not even the famous ones only. Like I can, you could tell me any part of it. I could jump in and play both sides of it. Also, Clay, have you and Mrs. Travis watched Outlander together? No, I've, I don't know anything about Outlander. Outlander is gonna. If you try it, it will suck you in. The guy, the guys like it. The ladies like it. It's a very watch, especially the first couple of seasons. Very, Carrie and I are into it right now. Very watchable show. So, so uh, you will be posting. Uh, you're going to love the castles. Will you be posting photos and things on Instagram for people who are left stateside during this trip, or, or is this a no social media in, in endeavor? Like, I'll take photos. I usually like to do all the posting when I come back. It was really nice. I so appreciate everybody who was saying nice things about um, me getting married this past week but it's just because we finally got the photos you know from the photographer (laughs) so people were like you got married i'm like actually uh seven months ago eight months ago but you know we just hadn't really gotten around to posting the the that's the thing everyone the photos you take with your own phones these days those are always the ones that end up getting shared about the event right away you know professional photos they got to retouch them and it takes longer 
No doubt. So uh, Buck's with us here uh, for the first half of the show. Then he's heading legitimately to Scot- Scotland, which should be pretty awesome. All right, we got a ton of stories that are out there. First, I saw Trump yesterday, Buck. Um, he was in Nashville doing a fundraiser. Kid Rock and... Um, was he like, uh, Clay, I, I hear that some <laughs> of the ladies think you're very hot, but probably not as hot as me. Let's be honest, because the hottest... Uh, Kid Rock and John Rich brought him out, very Nashville flavor, and um, so I got to talk to Trump for a little bit, and he now is making the argument as we get ready for the uh, for the official launch. I would say I think the first debate is really, in many ways, the official launch. I think we have audio of Trump making the argument that everybody else should drop out as he now has opened this 40-point lead. So I want to get your take on this, Buck. Also, we need to talk about Ron DeSantis' debate strategy getting leaked. We got uh, the fallout continuing in Maui, which is which is awful. Uh, and, uh, and Bill Barr and Brian Kemp and Vivek Ramaswamy rising. A bunch of different levels to dive into. But let's start here. Trump now, yesterday, I believe, Buck, made the argument, hey, I've opened up such a big lead. It's time for everybody to come together. Listen to that. Great polls just out, leading by 40, 50, and even 60 points. Who expected that? I did. Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, all very strong, but also leading Biden very big. The sanctimonious is crashing. Perhaps the party should come together. People should drop out of the race. We unify and we beat Biden and the Democrats. They should be easy to beat because our country has never been in worse condition than it is right now. Thank you. <sighs> okay. So can right. we, we want, want to get into this right now? We got yeah, more in the setup. This. Yeah, let me say this too. Trump talked for an hour and 15 minutes at his, uh, at his fundraiser. Not public, so I'm not going to say the things that he talked about. But I will in generality say this, Buck. Almost nothing about DeSantis or attacking any other Republican. He went almost full bore for an hour and 15 minutes on how awful Joe Biden was. So I think on some level, Trump has opened up such a lead that he's just decided we're into the general election now. And he's almost shifted his attention in many ways. He took a little shot at DeSantis there, but not showing up for the Republican debate and basically going after Biden feels like he feels like he's got this race won and now it's time to start the attack on Biden. Well, you know, there's there's acting like you've been in the end zone before and then there's having been in the end zone before. You know what I mean? This guy was president, right? So he, he's been to the big dance. He understands the dynamics involved. He's been through a successful campaign and an unsuccessful campaign. I think there's a learning process that comes from that, too. Uh, and I know people can say, oh, it's not as irrespective of what anyone thinks, Joe Biden managed to become the president. So there were lessons learned in that process, lessons learned about uh, ballot measures and security and and turnout and a whole bunch of things on the should the other candidates drop out component of this. Uh, I, look, one thing that I'm curious about, first off the bat, is. All of a sudden, everyone's telling, they're all telling Ron DeSantis to drop out. Why isn't Vivek being asked to drop out? I mean, I, I look, Vivek would say that he doesn't know. I'm sure if we had him on, he'd say, I have no idea. But that strikes me as a bit strange. You know, it's everyone needs to drop out. And by everyone, we mean Ron DeSantis. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, you could make an argument. The first people who should drop out are actually the ones 
who are getting two, three, maybe five percent in some of the polls because they have no chance of really winning, but they're not a, a top tier candidate. Now they would argue, I'm sure. Well, look at you know, look at Howard Dean and look at where Rudy Giuliani was in 2008 and all this stuff. So uh, you know, I, I think that there's that component of it where people have a fair questions to ask here. Uh, I think that a, a primary process can be people are of two minds about this. Let me ask you this before I, there's a whole another thing I want to ask about the the ballots, the state ballots uh and a theory that could be a real problem for Trump down the line that people have brought up. We'll get to that in a second. Um a legal problem, I mean. But there's the argument that a primary is a gauntlet that strengthens the eventual winner and the argument that actually you just spend a lot of money, time and effort trying to become the guy or the gal. Uh, what do you? Which side of that do you come come down on for this? Because I I hear it both ways, and I think both sides at least have an argument to make. So I I think a lot of being a candidate is about figuring out how to find your voice, and I don't think that Trump needs to figure out how to find his voice. For better or worse, people know what Trump's voice is. I do think there's an interesting question. The Wall Street Journal had an argument that people need to drop out this morning as well, Buck, but it was an argument from a different perspective than Trump. Their argument was people need to drop out so that we can have a legitimate race, 1v1, mano a mano, whoever's left with Trump. I do think it's it's worth asking to everybody out there. Vivek has made a move. I, I think Vivek has been the biggest winner of the campaign, let's say, from May on. Let's leave aside Trump, because he's obviously been in the lead the whole time. Of the non-Trump candidates, Vivek is the only one who's really made a move. Now, Chris Christie appears to have made a little bit of a move in New Hampshire, if you look at some of that polling. DeSantis has, at best, stayed the same, come back a little bit, but he's still the number two. He, he lost ground. I mean, DeSantis was within striking distance of the lead in, what, January of, of this yes. year, the beginning? Oh, certainly, yeah. And so he's lost ground. That That's yes. what I think has been surprising to the DeSantis camp, and that's also why you're seeing these stories planted in the media, because some of the people on that camp, first of all, a lot of people have been fired. There are egos involved here. People that work on campaigns want to work on other campaigns. So, you know, you start to see the when people are jockeying to control the narrative in a campaign at this stage, it means there's been some problems. So here's my first thing. I agree with Trump all partly. And I also agree with the Washington, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the Wall Street Journal partly. I think if you are not on the stage for the first Republican debate, in other words, you weren't able to get the 40,000 donors or the 1% or 2% of the overall uh, the polling numbers, you should drop out because you have absolutely no chance. Now, also, if you're not on the stage, Buck, what's the total percentage that the non-people on the stage right now have in overall support? 3 4% total? Yeah. I, they're almost non-entities already, but I do think you should go ahead and clear that deck. And then if... You do not make a big move after this Republican debate on Wednesday. So we're talking two, three weeks after the debate. You get to talk to 20 million people or however many people are watching, and you don't then move at all. I think that you should start to drop out. I think there should be, in my opinion, if I were waving the magic wand, there should be four or five people, all of whom believe they have legitimate candidacies, that are running in Iowa and New Hampshire at the top of the line. Now, the problem you run into, and you've talked about this a lot on the show, 
What do you lose by running for president and not winning? This is where we go to our uh, recurring theme on the show, which is that you want to find the result. Look at the incentives and the incentives for prosecutors in New York and Atlanta, for example, is throw everything you got at Trump. Doesn't matter how crazy it is. It's good for you, the prosecutor. Bad for the country, but good for the prosecutor. The incentives for Almost everybody. I mean, you know, people are saying, oh, you could damage yourself for the future. For I will say this. I think Glenn Youngkin was considering it. And I think he realized he's kind of like the guy who's like, yeah, I'm going to get in the middle of the bar fight. And then he's seen a few people lose some teeth. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to wait till the next bar fight. Like this one looks a little rough. So I think he's getting ready. This is just my personal feeling for the next election. And he knows that being a popular governor of Virginia you know, Virginia has often been a, at least people thought it would be, um, uh, a platform for national office. You know, we've had a number of people that have come out of there that think that they will have that that kind of a run, um, including Bob McDonald. It's funny, actually, as we know, who's then taken out by a prosecution, which we all should keep in mind. So, Clay, I, I think uh, it's very unlikely you're going to see these other people drop out and... um you know what really to the point about incentives the downside is that you're going to be trusting the narrative to somebody who has beaten you up uh up to this point you're going to have raised a lot of money from donors and not spend it on your actual campaign and you don't get all that exposure i mean look you know it's funny because vivek doesn't really care about well i mean not really about money anymore right so getting a million dollar you know if you get a million dollar book advance these days that's like you know that's a lot of it's a lot of money for anybody but these things are more rare uh that that for vivek is like couch cushions money he doesn't really care so for him i think the uh being in the center of the storm so to speak is a big part of the appeal uh, I think DeSantis still just believes that he would be a very, very effective in the role. And uh, certainly the record in Florida supports that he'd be effective. I think he'd be effective in any role. I think you'd want him, you know, you, I think he'd be a good president. I think he'd be a great guy to coach your son's little league team. Like, I just think he has a, a mind for management. Um, and then, of course, there's the one man political phenomenon of Donald Trump, who's up 40 points. And, you know, man, I. I, I try not to get caught up in thinking about all these prosecutions and just getting so down about it. And the more I've thought about it recently, um, I just think he's going to find a way through it. I don't know how, because it looks like it's impossible, but he will find some means of look what he's up to up to this point. It's it's almost superhuman. I mean, I think other people would have just said, you know what, I'm going to go play golf. I'm done. Well, I was talking to people at the fundraiser yesterday, and I just said, how many 77-year-olds in America could do this? And, 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 and I'm just talking about take away everything. Like, he flew in, there. I don't know, there's 500 people, 400 people, whatever it is, at the fundraiser in Nashville. He shake hands with all of them. He poses. He glad hands. He then talks for an hour and 15 minutes. Hops back on a plane. I mean, the amount of energy. I mean, just and he had. I will say this: he had a funny bit of his uh, of his stump speech for the for the donors, where he was talking about Biden, and he's like, you know, he's standing up on the stage, and he says, "You would think that Joe Biden at least would be able to get off the stage. There's only two directions to go, and one of them doesn't have stairs." <laughs> you know, talking about how out of sorts Biden is. Um, but to your point, I was talking. How many people could even do this? And and then you add in all the other challenges and all the other legal. 
it's wild. It's just wild to think about where we are as a country right now. We'll get into some more of that. Also, what do you think about this? I mean, let's let's put it out there to our people. Do you support or do you oppose Trump's call for other candidates to drop at this? It's it's August, right? We we have not even had a debate yet. But we've also never seen a candidate ahead by 40 points. What do you think? 800-282-2882. You know, gun ownership comes with a lot of responsibility. And something you need to do as a responsible gun owner is keep your skills sharp and at a high level. There's getting to the range for practice, and then there's training between range visits at home. Well, how can you do that? I do it with the Mantis X system. Mantis X is a firearms training system that is a no-ammo, all-electronic way to improve your shooting accuracy. It attaches to your firearm like a weapon light, connects to your phone and the Mantis X app. Your Mantis X gives you data-driven, real-time feedback on your technique. It gives you drills and courses to improve your aim. Nearly everyone improves within the first 20 minutes of using Mantis X. And it's fun, too. It's kind of addictive. Once you start really using it, you see you're just getting a little better, a little better. Those fundamentals, the trigger pull, front sight focus. You go, wow, I'm, I'm actually dialing in here. The Mantis X is a, a Mantis X is a must-have for every gun owner. Start improving your shooting accuracy today. Get yours, like I've got mine at home, MantisX.com. That's M-A-N-T-I-S-X.com. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton on the front lines of truth. Why are people still on the fence about owning gold and silver? I just don't understand. Have we already forgotten about regional bank closures, inflation, global instability, and the potential for serious world conflicts? You can look to precious metals for various reasons. One, having tangible currency on hand as part of your bug-out plan. Two, diversifying your portfolio as a hedge against inflation. And three, historically, gold increases in value over time. You keep yourself informed about global events. You see the increase in conflicts around the globe. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. The people with Oxford Gold Group are real pros. They make owning gold and silver simple and easy to understand. Call Oxford Gold Group right now and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. One more time, 833-995-G-O-L-D. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, from this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, we've been talking about pardon power recently, and there's the discussion as to whether Hunter Biden would get pardoned by Joe Biden, especially given that Joe has an alias that he was using, allegedly, according to the House of Representatives, uh, the Oversight Committee led by Comer. Uh, that's an interesting moment in time. Can Trump pardon himself, not just from federal, but also from possible state crimes? Which candidates would uh, offer to pardon? We know that Vivek, for example, has already said that he would uh, he would pardon Donald Trump. Uh, Ron DeSantis has intimated that he is, I think, likely to because he said it is an injustice what is going on, but he's not as forceful on it as Vivek, if memory serves. Memorably on this show, Mike Pence is not offering to pardon Donald Trump. And I kind of get the sense. I kind of get the sense that he thinks he should go to prison. <laughs> the, more, yeah. the more I hear him talk about it, which to me is, uh, you know, you, you got to put the country, the country first and to, to lock up, to, to advocate for locking up Trump and to call yourself a Republican is uh i i think crazy but you know vivek again we talked about him a lot last hour i just want to point out here um he is he is saying that there are a lot of people that he would pardon if he became president i just want everyone to hear this list the prosecution obviously makes the most aggressive statement of its case in the indictment and assuming that's the case here as it is in any other case i will absolutely pardon trump on day one, January 20th, 2025, when I'm in office. I expect to maybe making tens of pardons on day one. I think there are countless Americans who have been the victims of politically motivated persecutions through prosecution. Peaceful protesters on January 6th, January 6th defendants who actually have had constitutional due process violations. Julian Assange is someone I've specifically identified as somebody I would absolutely pardon. Ross Ulbricht, Douglas Mackey, others. So he's naming a number a number of people. They're interesting, you know. He has a he has a lot of friends in tech in Silicon Valley, and some of the people he's talked about there have been involved in you know, global internet uh, issues. Uh, Ross Ulbricht, I think the uh, the Dred Scott pirate, right? That was his name. On I don't even know who that is. I'm oh yeah, he was the Silk yeah. Road guy. And am I right? Am I? I'm going off memory. You guys know what I'm talking about. He ran Silk Road. Uh, or Dred Scott Roberts, or Dred Scott's uh, Dred Pirate, um, Dred Pirate. I forget his name. He had some online name. Help me out here. Everyone's looking at me like I'm crazy. All right, I'm going off a of memory. Yeah, here. I mean, you, 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 and the super tech bros are on that one. I, I don't know, but I do think that this is an example. When we had DeSantis on right after, can he I just say on, yes? Who, everything I, name? everything I said just now is is actually I shouldn't doubt myself. Yes, he is the Silk Road guy. Uh, yada yada. He's he's the guy. Go ahead. What is Silk Road? Because I've got a huge. That's the online. Yeah, uh, online like dark, dark web, web dark web marketplace. Okay. So he was he was running this, and um, he got. I think he's got life. Uh, so 
you know, there, there's a whole, and then there's the Julian Assange conversation as well. So he's going at Dread Pirate Roberts. I nailed it, team. I nailed it. The buck needs to bet on himself. I don't know why. I'm like, I don't know. Am I? This was off the top of my head. I hadn't Googled this or anything beforehand. So, but he's talking about all these guys. Here's why I want to bring this up, Clay. It's interesting, isn't it? The, the power to pardon is something that you know the, the founding fathers were very clear to include. Very, you know, very explicit powers that exist. And you look at the tensions in this country politically right now, and you look at the way. There has been the weaponization of the Justice Department itself. Maybe it's easier for some people. You look back at different times in, you know, English or British uh, history, and there's an understanding that sometimes the system itself is a weapon against those who are a political challenge. And so our founders recognized to kind of cool everything down. You need to have something where it's possible for people to say. We're just going to we're just going to move forward and we're not going to continue with this. And I think that this is central right now to the and, and Vivek was talking about this, allowing the country to heal, to stop all of this nonsense, to wipe it away. But to that end, you know, I, you brought this up. Would, would Joe Biden, for example, pardon pardon Trump? Is there a future in which either Trump or Vivek would say, obviously, pardoning myself or all Trump-related issues, and to move the country forward, pardon the Biden-related issues as well, if they win, not in advance of that? I think they should. And and I would encourage Vivek or Trump or Ron DeSantis or anybody else out there to start saying that. And I said it on this show a couple of weeks ago, Buck. I said to me, the only way, for instance, that Joe Biden could politically end up running for re-election after pardoning his son would also be if he pardoned Trump. Now, he also could still get another bite at that apple. Joe Biden could, Buck, because the state charges, although we've had a debate about whether the president could potentially pardon himself on state charges as well, it has to do with presidential powers and, and all sorts of supremacy clause issues and everything else. Biden could get a bite at that apple, Buck, because he could pardon him uh, Trump on federal charges and still know the state charges were pending and then claim rightly that he was not involved in those. That to me is what a president would do if he or she truly cared about trying to stand on principle and bring the country together, which is the justification Gerald Ford used when he pardoned Richard Nixon that, back in 1976 or whatever it that's was. That's exactly right. And that's really what I'm what I think we're we're starting to see as as a as a necessary uh step forward here and and understanding how this all comes together. Um George Washington uh used the power of pardon as president for the Whiskey Rebellion. So an actual rebellion, right? An actual yep. insurrection of sorts used the pardon power for those individuals who uh for some of the individuals who were uh, engaged in that to give them amnesty to move the country forward so it is interesting as at some level i think that there's i don't want to say optimism because we're just at the beginning of all of this but the founding fathers what they said what they set in motion was pretty damn smart and you can see how this ability to heal the nation that is written into the Constitution through the power of pardon. We, I think we think of a lot now as, oh, it's something you do at the end for some people maybe that are connected or maybe that you think got you know a rough sentence or something. It's on the way out. 
but it's actually really important. It's a really important political mechanism for bringing the country together. I mean, Washington himself recognized that. No, and, and Buck, building on the history here, think about how Lincoln was going to respond to the Civil War when it ended. Think about how, for those of you who have studied history, think about how Grant responded when Lee surrendered to him. And there were criticisms then that Grant had been far too conciliatory in what he allowed the Confederate soldiers to keep. I think a weapon, if I remember correctly, their horses, they fed them almost immediately because the Confederate Army had virtually no rations. Uh, so they put, they didn't just lay down arms. Remember, if you study when the, uh, when the Confederate Army turned their muskets over, uh, Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain had all of the Union soldiers standing there salute the Confederate Army as they walked by, honoring them at a time. And, and, you know, it, uh, it, one of the more powerful, yeah, one of the more powerful moments in Band of Brothers. One of, you know, I mean, there's a lot of very powerful moments yes. in Band of Brothers, to be clear, but one of the more memorable, I should say, is you recall, he wasn't SS, but it was the German. Uh, the German essentially general of an area was allowed to, once they had surrendered and once the war was over, address his soldiers with some dignity. Yeah. Now, you could say, oh, my gosh, you know, they had been in World War Two and all the atrocities. Yes, but they were trying to pacify. The, and it was actually in Austria, I believe, is where this part of them. And, and the idea was. Do we want to keep fighting? And you know, because because Hitler had a whole plan for an ins- you know insurgency to continue and go to the mountains of yep. Bavaria and the whole thing. Do we want this to stop, and everyone gets to live in a more peaceful future and stop shooting each other, or not? And that was and so some of these concessions, some of these concessions were made. Mercy is a part of justice. Is really the fundamental principle. And if you study Appomattox, and I'm a nerd, I have. There was an argument made to Lee, General Lee, by some of his soldiers. Yes, we're in dire straits now. Disband the army, but let's continue guerrilla combat until the South can uh, end up with its own independence. Like, in other words, the, the tens of thousands of men that are currently in the Army of Northern Virginia, just have them sneak out, and then we'll have all of these different rebel bands that are able to arise and attack and will never allow the South to be conquered because we'll basically have perpetual war and aggression. And Lee said he wouldn't do that. And and, and so the way that that response is, this is what I'm, I'm hitting at. If Joe Biden actually was the person that he claimed that a, he was. A unifier like what his yes. whole campaign was? Yes. If he were that, uh, then that would be a strong argument to make. I would also say this, Buck. This is why I was so fired up about Pence. Because Pence's entire campaign, for people who remember when I asked him about the pardon thing, I think it's important to stand on principle over politics. And that's not just a phrase. If you, and I would say the same thing to Joe Biden, to Mike Pence, to everybody else, what is happening to Donald Trump is wrong. And it should be considered wrong whether you're a Democrat, whether you're a Republican, or whether you're an independent. And I would encourage, and this is when we had DeSantis on, I made the argument at the time, I think DeSantis should have come out aggressively immediately and said, yes, I'm going to pardon Trump because it's wrong. It's wrong. And, and I think you could make the same argument on Hunter Biden because then it gets harder to attack the Trump thing and just say, look, I don't think that we should try to put people in prison who are involved in politics as a principle. One opposition party shouldn't be trying to do it to the other. When you look at the history of this country, 
of the usage of the pardon power. It has been deployed in order to try to heal the nation in some way and move it forward, not based on this person was innocent or didn't do bad things or what, you know, whatever. Some of them did terrible things. But it's there is something more here than uh, than retributive justice in this case. There can be something bigger. I mean, you think even um, of the pardon of the head of the con- I mean, there was the pardon of the head of the Confederacy by President Johnson. Right. Yeah. Which was, you know, people very controversial and unconditional and without reservation, full pardon and amnesty for treason against the United States. The Whiskey Rebellion, George Washington for insurrection against the united states so for all these people who are saying oh you know it's this is what needs to happen and and it's terrible and and uh you know the country's going to come apart at the seams there is this mechanism here for trying to move forward but the question is who's going to have that power and who's willing to use it and And what would donald trump if he wins what will Who's statesmanlike enough to do that's it? Right. That's the challenge. Who would, right? who would step up to move the country forward in that way? Now, I think a lot of people right now are thinking this is even crazy talk. We got to get in there and we have to, we have to win. That's, that's step one. But what does it look like afterwards? So I, I view it as there's the founders were really smart. They thought this stuff through. They understood history. And, you know, I don't think national divorce is an inevitability here. You know, if, if Trump wins, there are other options. Look at you being super optimistic, and I would well, say because I'm this going on too. vacation. I'm in a good yeah, mood today. Uh, I would say this. Think about it two different perspectives. There's the eye for an eye retributive justice, which is, okay, they're trying to put us in prison. We're going to try to put them in prison. I think that threat is necessary, but there's also a redemptive instead of re- re- retributive justice. There is a redemptive aspect to this, which is we're going to be equal parts forgiving. And that's why I said, like, if Joe Biden was who he claimed to be, he would pardon Trump and he would pardon his own son. And he would say, this is nasty. This is toxic. It's time to turn the page. Let's argue about ideas. He's not that person. He's but not. if he were, that's what he would do. But I think it's interesting, you know, for and right now, the, the posture from Trump has to be scorched earth, all out, anything to beat them. And I think that that's the correct posture from in his mindset but remember all the locker up chants, all the locker up chants. What happened when Trump won that incredible 2016 victory? He put the best interests of the country forward. Now, I don't think the Democrats would do this. That's why winning is so important. But I think that there may be it may be more complicated or maybe more of a conversation um, if, if you have a second Trump administration here. The Tunnel the Towers Foundation delivers on its promise to do good and never forget the sacrifices America's greatest heroes have made for us. Heroes who risk their lives to keep our communities and our country safe. Heroes like Marine Corps Captain and Pilot Jeremy John Jeremy Sachs. Sachs sustained fatal injuries when his military aircraft crashed during training, killing him and five other service members. He's remembered by loved ones as a courageous, brilliant, and someone devoted to his career, family, and friends. Sachs is survived by his wife, Amber, who gave birth to their second daughter three months after his death. Tunnel to Towers paid the mortgage on the family home for Amber and their two daughters. The foundation has helped over 1,000 military and first responder families navigate the worst of times by removing the burden of a mortgage payment. Our nation's heroes and their families need your help now more than ever. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. 
One truth revealed after another. Clay, Travis, and Buck Sexton. Buck off to Scotland with a quick stop with Greg Gutfeld in the meantime. Should be a really cool trip. I'm jealous of the fun that he is going to have there. Uh, We'll be with you all next week. And as we were just talking with Buck, breaking news here, and I put up a poll question because I'm curious how you guys would respond to this. Donald Trump, according to the New York Times, has made the decision to skip the first Republican debate uh, that is in Milwaukee on Wednesday of next week. And instead, according to the Times, is going to do an interview with Tucker Carlson that airs at the same time. In theory, that interview would air on, uh, on I guess, Twitter through Tucker Carlson's Twitter platform there. Uh, you can go vote in the poll because I'm curious to see what you guys would say. Uh, hundreds of you voting right now at Clay Travis. You can find me on Twitter right now with a 1,000 votes in. 54% say it's a good move, 46% say it's a bad move. We'll see how those numbers move, 800-282-2882. You guys can react to that news as well on the uh, on the phone lines. Now, the other aspect of this, as we get ready for the official first primary uh, in, uh, I guess it's caucus in Iowa in January, The first debate really is massive because you and me and everybody out there who's listening, we've had every single Republican candidate, major at least, on this program. You've had an opportunity to listen to them talk with all of you. But how are these guys going to appeal to a lot of people who are just casually paying attention? Now, this will detract, I would think, Trump doing a sit-down interview with Tucker Carlson with the audience that would be watching the uh, the debate on Fox News, somewhat. Still, I would think there will be 20 million people who will sit down, turn on the television, uh, turn on the television, and watch that debate take place. And we were talking about the fact that Ron DeSantis's debate prep has leaked. But I think, based on how that first debate goes, you're going to be able to say there's only four or five legitimate candidates right now. Everybody else is done. And I would say right now, if I were power ranking the candidates, I would say that there is a clear number one, he's Donald Trump, and he believes he's done so much and done enough to get your vote that he's not even going to show up for the Republican debate in August. A a slap in the face in many ways to the RNC, certainly a direct slap in the face to Fox News. If Trump doesn't show up at all, he thinks he's done enough. He thinks he's going to be the nominee. He's already focused on the general. Trump is clearly number one right now, as you would assess the power rankings. Number two, I would still say, is Ron DeSantis. But I would say that Vivek Vivek Ramaswamy is far closer to DeSantis now at two than anybody is to Trump at one. In other words, if this were the horse race metaphor, Trump is far out into the distance. He's created space for himself, the likes of which no, nobody really, I think, would have expected. I told this Trump yes, to Trump yesterday when I, I saw him here in Nashville. I said, i got to be honest with you. If you had told me in January that you were going to have opened up a 40-point lead on the rest of the poll, I would have said there's no way that would have happened. So, I mean, I said it to Trump myself yesterday. I never thought that he would open up this big of a lead. But he has. 
40-point lead, 30-point lead, whatever you want to say. Trump is far out ahead, so far out ahead that he doesn't even think he really needs. I told you that in his address yesterday, he talked for over an hour at the Nashville event that I attended. He barely mentioned any of the other Republican candidates. Almost his entire speech was focused on how bad of a job Joe Biden has done. Trump is starting to pivot towards the general election already because he believes he's going to be the nominee. So it's Trump. Second place, I would still say DeSantis, but Vivek Ramaswamy has edged up. And if you question that, you can look at the advice that DeSantis's team published that everybody was reading that was a, head, a lead story yesterday where they said, hey, you need to attack Vivek Ramaswamy because the debate now is going to be an audition for number two, which I will get to in a moment. So you got Vivek Ramaswamy, I think, is clearly in the third spot. In the four spot, I would say probably, depending on how you want to assess Iowa and how you want to assess New Hampshire, I think you'd probably say Tim Scott, and he's about to spend a lot of money. He has big dollars behind him. And then in the five spot, I would say Chris Christie. I think everybody else is done. And you could say, well, Chris Christie has no chance. Chris Christie is number two in some of the New Hampshire polling. I think there are five guys, and they're all guys. I think everybody else is done. I think Mike Pence is done. I think Nikki Haley is done. I think that Doug Bergram, however you pronounce his name, I think he never had a chance. And Larry Elder and Will Hurd and all these other guys out there that are running that most of you have never heard of, I think all those guys are finished. I think there are five contenders right now. And if you listen to what Trump's saying, he's saying everybody else should drop out. The Wall Street Journal, interesting editorial, they're saying actually we need limited number of candidates going forward because there's too much distraction. I think there are five guys. Five guys that still have a chance. A lot of them very small chance. Trump's a prohibitive favorite at this point. There's five guys that still have a chance. I would suggest to you that unless something crazy happens, what comes out of Wednesday's debate is going to be those five guys have a chance, everybody else is done, as we get ready for the September debate. And I think based on the precedent that is now out there, Trump is making the decision to say, I am not going to debate at all because I don't need to. Everybody knows me. I'm the choice. And the question that is out there that you guys are going to have to decide is you will watch the debate on Wednesday. Most of you have opinions, pro or con, of Trump already. And there will be, I think, four guys on that debate stage that stand out. I think it will be Ron DeSantis. I think it will be Vivek Ramaswamy. I think it will be Tim Scott. And I think it will be Chris Christie. And that's it. I think you're going to look at everybody else and be like, yeah, thanks, no thanks. So the question becomes, how quickly... Does everybody else come to this same conclusion that I'm coming to? And by the way, 800-282-2882, you may look at me and say, Clay, you're power five. Your ranking of the Republican candidates is totally wrong. Somebody else out there has a chance. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen anybody else outside of those five do anything to elevate elevate themselves into the first tier. Do you remember when they had the A-team debate and the B-team debate on Fox News back in 2015. And they had so many people running that they had the second-tier contenders and they had their own like JV debate. I went to a seventh-grade football game uh, uh, last night. My seventh grader started to play. 
It's basically JV. It's only seventh graders. Then they have the eighth grade. Then they got the JV. Then they got the actual varsity. I feel like we've got the varsity squad. The varsity squad is the five I just mentioned. Now, I'm not saying that all of those guys are going to have a shot to win, meaning I don't think Chris Christie's suddenly going to surge up, but I do think 15% or 20% of people might be willing to support Chris Christie. And I think he could make a real run in New Hampshire, in the Northeast, where the Republican Party has a different vibe than it does in South Carolina, let's say, than it does in Iowa. It's a different kind of electorate. There's only five guys. Trump is saying, I'm the king, I'm the guy, I don't even need to worry about these other four guys. They are running to be my VP, basically. And they can audition and they can fight. Now, the question that's going to emerge, I really believe Ron DeSantis doesn't want to be Trump's VP. And given the complexities of them both being from the state of Florida, I think DeSantis is the one guy you can say there's no chance he's going to be Trump's VP I don't think the math on it works. I don't think he wants it. Chris Christie clearly doesn't want it. He hates Trump. He's running basically to attack Trump. That would suggest that Vivek Ramaswamy and Tim Scott are actually the two contenders in the Republican debates and in the overall race that are angling for each other. So here's an early preview for you. Sometimes you can tell what the candidates think of their positioning not by what they say about others, but by how they go after each other. DeSantis sees Vivek as a threat. That's who he's going to attack because he's trying to preserve his number two spot. Vivek, I think, sees both DeSantis, but more primarily Tim Scott as his debate. Because I think in the back of his mind, Vivek is, is contemplating, hey, I could be VP. Who's my top opposition of the candidates to be Trump's VP? I think it's Tim Scott. So I bet there'll be some fireworks, potentially, between Vivek and Tim Scott on that debate stage. And then Chris Christie's just going to be running around trying to mow people down like crazy. But in particular, his primary point of attack is going to be going after Donald Trump. That's my preview, by the way, of where we are, he- are, are heading. And let me just say this. I do think you need to contemplate and think about it. You may have a strong opinion of many of these candidates right now. You're listening to this show. You're plugged in politically. A lot of people aren't paying attention. Your neighbor has probably been way more focused on trying to make sure their kids are ready to start school and not paying attention to the nitty-gritty of the Republican debate five months before anybody's going to be able to vote in the primary. So my bet is that Vivek is going to emerge from this Republican debate. A ton of people are going to be like, I've never heard of this dude before. I think he's going to really surge. And I think then you're going to have a real battle. Because remember, you want to be the alternative to Trump. Everybody's really fighting for the number two spot right now in this race. I think what we're going to see is those five guys are going to emerge. Trump, who's not going to be there. The other four that I just laid out, DeSantis, Vivek, Scott, and Christie, and that's it. And really, if the RNC was doing its job, it would say, okay, we're down to five. Set the categories so we don't have this huge mass of candidates. If you can't get the number of donors, you're not a viable candidate. I understand why you want to run. It makes you money. You can sell more books, something that I certainly know about. I'm on the book-selling tour right now. 
But these guys, a lot of them, and these girls, don't really have a chance to actually end up as the nominee. And once you know that you're not going to be the nominee, there should be a mechanism by which you get forced off the stage. By the way, I was just texting during the commercial break. Sage Steele is scheduled now to join us at the top of the next hour. Um, She just left ESPN, settled a lawsuit. They suspended her for saying the COVID shot didn't make sense for anybody at Disney to be mandated to get. They wouldn't let her speak her mind. She's going to speak her mind some with us in the next hour. Uh, She's scheduled to join us. In the meantime, Innovation Refunds. They've helped thousands of small businesses with their ERC tax refunds. ERC is an IRS tax refund for businesses that kept employees on payroll for parts of 2020 and 2021. If you own a business with more than five employees, you may qualify. Have you started the application for the ERC, but maybe maybe you didn't finish it? Innovation Refunds can pick up where you left off, even if you started your filing with another company. Partner with their dedicated team of independent tax attorneys to complete your ERC application with confidence and peace of mind today. Innovation Refunds does not provide tax or legal advice. They work with an independent network of tax professionals. They'll share information with them to evaluate and process your claims. Terms and conditions apply. Go to innovationrefunds.com to see if you qualify they know what front charges. They don't get paid unless you get paid. The website, innovationrefunds.com. You can call them 1-843-REFUNDS. Subscribe to CNB 24-7 and never miss a minute of Clay and Buck while getting behind-the-scene access to special content for members only. Buck. Why are people still on the fence about owning gold and silver? I just don't understand. Have we already forgotten about regional bank closures, inflation, global instability, and the potential for serious world conflicts? You can look to precious metals for various reasons. One, having tangible currency on hand as part of your bug-out plan. Two, diversifying your portfolio as a hedge against inflation. And three, historically, gold increases in value over time. You keep yourself informed about global events. You see the increase in conflicts around the globe. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. The people with Oxford Gold Group are real pros. They make owning gold and silver simple and easy to understand. Call Oxford Gold Group right now and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. One more time, 833-995-G-O-L-D. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, this idea of what, is that that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. 
Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. A couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening is soon to be en route to Scotland with his lovely wife, Carrie. We'll be breaking down everything for you next week, and then Buck will be back the week after. Appreciate all of you hanging out with us. Uh, News that is out there, according to the New York Times, Donald Trump has chosen not to engage in the debate on Wednesday in Milwaukee that will be airing on Fox News. Instead, again, this is according to the Times, Trump will do a live interview, which I presume would air on Twitter and probably other places as well, with Tucker Carlson. We bring in now my friend Sage Steele, who has recently left ESPN. We got a bunch to dive into with her. But Sage, let's start there with the uh, with the idea that Trump, I'm sure you've probably seen that news, that Trump might skip the debate and instead do an interview with Tucker Carlson at the same time. How does that strike you? What do you think of that? Uh, I mean, it's just exactly what we should have expected the whole time, right? Uh, Especially for it to air at the exact same time. I mean, listen, I think um, for those of us who follow politics, it would have been fascinating, would have been great TV for him to join. But, I mean, strategically, it's probably really smart. And, oh, by the way, it's August of 23. He's got time for that. Um, It just made me smile when I heard you sharing the news just there because it's it's exactly what we should have expected <laughs> all right let's uh i i bet a lot of our audience will know who you are certainly we've been friends for a long time but i want for people because this is obviously a, a different audience than just a traditional sports audience yeah you have been with espn for how long what is your background how would you describe yourself to Let's be a little bit a little bit braggadocious here. The biggest audience in all of radio that might not all know you already, Sage. Who are you, and uh, and and what's your background? My favorite thing about you is your your humility. I yes, love yes. It. And, <laughs> um, I started at ESPN in February of 2007. My kids were 11 months old at the time. 11 months, two and four. And now they're 17, 19, and 21, and the older two just got back to college at High Point University in North Carolina for their sophomore and junior years. And my youngest is about to be a senior in high school, and she's celebrating because she's got the house to herself, no arguments about the car with her siblings. Um, And you know what? My kids, my parents, my family, that's what I'm all about. Um, that is what has always driven me, especially over the last couple of years when things have kind of gone in directions that I never could have dreamt of. But, I mean, the, the background, background, and I'll just be quick, is, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a proud Army brat. My dad is a retired Army colonel. He just turned 77 years old. And the reason I love sports and had this crazy dream of being a sportscaster uh, back in the 80s, I mean, I'm 50, so back in the 80s, um, when women weren't doing this, it's because my dad and his athleticism and his history, um, that's what drove me. I was a daddy's girl, still am. And um, 
he I brag about my dad because he won't. But he, he broke the color barrier at West Point, the first black man to ever play varsity football there. And he was an All-American tight end way back then at six, six and a half in the 60s. He was massive and he was principled and he was and is an incredible man and my hero. And he and the principles that he instilled in me and my brothers, that's what drives me. And that's what really keeps me strong, even with things that I never thought I'd ever be talking about or doing. That is a fantastic story about your dad. I know we have a lot of West Point grads and also people who are certainly in the armed forces today that are listening to us, and that is a fabulous story. Okay, so you started at ESPN in February of 2007. It doesn't feel like that long ago, uh, but I'm curious what you saw in terms of the trajectory of ESPN, which I think it's fair to say back in February of 2007, I'll, I'll be honest, I mean... I would have said, hey, that's just a sports network. You go there to find out who won a game. You go there to find out who got traded, who's signing as a free agent. You put on SportsCenter, you kick back, and you have a beer, and you enjoy whatever the nightly news was associated with sports. I bet that's probably what you found it to be like in February of 2007. You just left ESPN and announced you were leaving this week. How did things change from February of 2007 to you deciding that you wanted to leave and what you said was a dream job that you had at ESPN. Oh, yeah. I mean, I play everyone who knows me knows that this absolutely was my dream. And since I was 11 years old and announced I wanted to be a sportscaster to the um, shock of my parents, because I was like this super shy, quiet little girl. And they're like, really? You want to do this? Then you, you might have to talk every once in a while and not hide between our legs. <laughs> so they, listen, they watched me every single day that they could over the last 16 and a half years at ESPN and kind of just in awe because of how I really had to transform as a, as a person to live out this, this dream and get over that shyness. And I still have it sometimes. I just know how to flip that switch pretty well. Um, back then in 2007, it was just a different world. Social media wasn't a thing. I, I, I we were, strongly encouraged Eddie ESPN to get onto Twitter. I think I saw it the other day when I was changing my bio at the top of, of my Twitter page um, that April 09, I think, is when I joined. And we, there wasn't a thing called Twitter and, and social media. I mean, I don't. I wasn't part of MySpace or any of that crap because I was too old for that at the time, I think. I don't know. I was old and married and busy. Social media has changed everything because I think back then it really was must-see TV. People really did need to come to us for the news, um, breaking news, you know, and it would we would promote it on the radio during the sports center updates, during whatever radio show there was, probably Colin Coward's show, and it's like watch sports center at 6 p.m. or whatever it was. So times have just changed. The, the talent group has changed. Stuart Scott, um, my late great dear friend, um, you know, he was Stuart then, man. He, there were, we had Kenny Maine. We had all of the great. Dan Patrick was leaving, I think, right as I was arriving. I remember seeing him in the stairway once and, and like hyperventilating because I'm like, that's Dan Patrick. Um, it was, it was a different time. It was a beautiful time there. And, um, I, I remember being scared to death to walk in there. Um, and it really is an incredible place with a campus that truly is like a college campus with some awesome people that I mean it when I say this, I, I'm sad because of so many great, great people and great experiences that I had. And I, I have zero regrets. Um, but, but it certainly has changed as I think every network has changed since 2007. Okay. So do you remember, and for people who don't know, uh, you got suspended 
uh, because you went on Jay Cutler's podcast. Jay Cutler is a friend of mine. He lives here in Nashville, former NFL quarterback. And basically you said, hey, I don't think they should have mandated the COVID shot. You had some other things to say. But I want to start before we get to that. Do you remember a moment in time where you thought, hey, this doesn't just feel like a sports network anymore. It feels very political, too. Do you remember a moment in time or an event that occurred where you sort of thought, hey, looking back, this is the line of demarcation. This is when things changed. I do think it was kind of a gradual process. I do. I think it kind of feels like it, it snuck up on us. Um, but listen, through the years, we always look, remember Andy Katz, who was so great, one of our, our layoffs that really hurt us back. I think he was part of the t- 2017 layoff, but college basketball reporter and insider. He's an awesome human and really damn good at his job. And every single year, he came up with the idea to go to the White House and have Barack Obama do the bracketology and fill out the brackets because Obama was such a, a basketball fan. And it felt okay then. I remember saying, wait a minute, Trump likes sports too. Why, why, aren't, we, why aren't we going to the White House, you know, with college football stuff? I don't know. Um, he used to own a football team, right, or the XFL, like, I, I, USFL. I, I, um, I really thought, well, why aren't we doing it now? And I remember asking that question, and, you know, I didn't really get answers. So, to me, it felt gradual. Um, I think during the, the Trump term, things really changed. Um, and, again, I know that we aren't the only place. It changed everywhere. But it seemed like that's when it became okay in our country to um, just outwardly um, the administration, um, and I get it, and that's what people's rights are, and that's something I will always stand up for. Um, it's just if you did bash or say something critical during the Obama administration, it was completely unacceptable. Yeah, and it's interesting because, and I want to go to the COVID shot in particular, and I bet you would agree, if someone had come out and said, oh, 100% Disney should mandate the COVID shot, they would have not gotten criticized at all, probably would have gotten praised. You said the opposite, and what was the reaction when you went on that podcast? And then you also said, uh, as you mentioned, your dad was, I think, the first black football player at West Point. Your mom is white. You're mixed race. Like Barack Obama, you also talked about that. Your experience is just as valid as his experience. And ESPN just basically said, oh, Sage Steele, you can't have the opinions that you shared, even though you shared them out of work. I, I think it's such a fascinating dynamic of what happened to you. It is fascinating. That's a word to use for sure. That's one that <laughs> I've used others, but that one works. Um, I, you're right, and that's what I've said a million times, that if I had said, shame on all these anti-vaxxers, you apparently don't care about your neighbors and your coworkers and your, you're going to, you know, harm others and kill others and how selfish you are, because that's what was being told to people like me who just questioned it. I was never against the vaccine. I was against the mandate or being forced to take it or anything. I mean, it, and it's kind of consistent. I, I hadn't given my kids a flu shot in probably a decade, not because I had really researched flu shots, frankly, it was more because I forgot. I mean, I'm an imperfect mother in more ways than one. They'll tell you that. I forgot. And then I was like, wow, they've gone for several years now and haven't ever gotten sick so just keep it going if i don't have to put more shots in them so it really came organically but to me i was very um apprehensive just from the basic research that i did 
because I, I, I didn't go too deep on it. You didn't have to, but to see how quickly it was being forced, um, the vaccine, and it became political, that's when I was like, wait a minute, I, this makes me uncomfortable. And I just want to wait. Can I just wait a little bit longer? Give me six months to, to make sure that we totally know the effect of this vaccine, knowing that the FDA usually takes, what, six to nine years on average to approve vaccines, and this is six months. So I had a problem with it, and especially um, with my kids who, you know, the, the goalpost kept moving with it, right? First it was kids under 20, um, you know, don't worry about it. You, you're fine. You're healthy. You don't have to worry about it. And then the, the age kept lowering, and I, I just, the inconsistencies made me question it. And so, I, I listen, I waited to the very, I waited till that day, the very last day I could have gotten the shot in order to be, um, to have followed the rules and to be fully vaxxed by the, by the, I think it was the September 30th deadline. And I waited till the last second because it's clear I didn't want to do it and I wasn't going to do it. And I was going to take a chance and I guess maybe get fired. I, I didn't know. But at the end of the day, I, I, I have three kids at the time. One was in college. Um, and, you know, financially, I, I'm, I'm divorced and financially it's all on me 100%. So I couldn't. And I did what I had to do despite being disgusted with myself or caving is the way I, I viewed myself at that point and giving in to what I believed, especially being forced to do something to my body. So on the, uh, I did what I had to do at that time, and I just prayed that, if something came of this vaccine, you know, fine, let it be me. Just don't let it be my kids, which they're, they're not vaccinated. Um, but trust me when I say I didn't take it lightly, and I did. I, I, I ran literally from getting the damn shot, ran home to do the podcast with Jay that I almost missed because I was struggling so much with taking the shot itself. And I came on, and I had the Band-Aid on my shoulder, and I wasn't thinking about it, and and just we started talking, and he asked, and I wasn't afraid to answer the question. I, I complied. I did what I needed to do, um, and that was the other thing. It's like, wait, I, I, I complied. I'm following the rules, and I, I can have an opinion because, like you said, if I'd had the other opinion, I probably wouldn't have heard from anybody. Would you have ever believed when you started at ESPN back in February of 2007 that saying men who identify as women shouldn't be women's <laughs> champions? would be considered a controversial hap uh, controversial opinion to have anywhere, but much less at a sports network. And for you and Sam Ponder in particular to be called bigots by other women who work at ESPN for having that opinion, what does that say about the perspective of ESPN when you get suspended for questioning the COVID shot and other coworkers can call you a bigot for not believing that men who pretend to be women should be women's champions and nothing at all happens to them? Well, there, there's a couple of different topics there um, with the transgender. I, I wouldn't have believed it two years ago, much less in 2007. I still can't believe it, and that's why I, I really won't even bother. I'm happy to have discussions and conversations that actually that to me is what is missing in this country right now is people are either afraid or unwilling to have conversations about important topics but this to me is useless because it's ridiculous and for all those people who preach science especially over the last couple of years they're conveniently ignoring science right now um so so this is just a ridiculous topic to me and i knew that when i tweeted about it that it would 
you know, not be appreciated by some, but you get to the point where you, you cannot stay silent. For me, I couldn't stay silent anymore, especially about something that is so important. I have been on record for years, uh, not obviously just as a woman in a man's world, but as a woman fighting for other women and young women, especially a mother with two daughters and a son who I want to, you know, really raise as a man and to respect women. And women are equal, and we can do the same things you can as far as, you know, what we what we are worth, um, what we can do professionally, so many things. And so to have this as a thing, again, I, I used to host the ESPNW Summit, which I was so proud of for the first 10 years, 11 years of its existence. And on that stage, all I would do was help uplift women and let's have these conversations. And why are we making less here or there? Why are we doing fewer women's highlights in certain parts of our network? Like, let's be equal. And so for all of those women to be silent right now, I'm like, where are you? Where are you, ladies? Which one is it? Either you support women as a whole or you don't, and you can't pick or choose. I think the funniest part to me, and it really made me laugh, is when Megan Rapino um, called me out as well as Martina Navratilova and Dave Chappelle. And I was like, that's awesome company. I love Chappelle. Um, as far as our opinions on biological men, forget biological, men playing women's sports and that by standing up for women that I'm promoting violence against the transgender community. I, I just can't. That's why I, mean, I don't even bother responding to some of that because it's not worth it. So I'm sad where we are. I'm grateful that my girls are no longer really playing competitive sports uh, because I would be I would be a nuisance to these people. <laughs> Can you stick with us a little bit of time? I don't know what you've got, but I got a couple more questions for you. Clay, you know what I'm doing? I'm sitting in a parking lot of a coffee shop in Connecticut because apparently this is what unemployed people do: is you sit at a coffee <laughs> shop and send a hundred emails all day. I haven't been unemployed in 35 years, so I'm like. I can sit as long as you want here. <laughs> All right, let's keep hanging then. By the way, if you have questions that you like for Sage, you can hit us at Sage Steel on Twitter, at Clay Travis. You can check out some of those mentions. I think they'll be very positive for you, Sage. Uh, and we'll come back and we'll keep talking here. Company story, by the way, uh, at My Pillow is an impressive one. 20 years, 80 million pillows sold, 200 product choices. Got a lot of great products. And right now you can get hooked up with sheets as low as twenty nine ninety eight with our names as the promo code Clay and Buck. Giza Dream Sheets, all my pillow products, 10-year warranty, 60-day money-back guarantee as well. Two months to determine if the sheets aren't just the most comfortable you can sleep on. We got them all throughout the Travis household. You'll love them. Go to MyPillow.com. Click on Radio Listener Specials to check out the sale on the Giza Dream Sheets. Remember to use code Clay and Buck. You can also call 800-792-3269. The supply chain of smarts, sanity, and truth. Uninterrupted. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.
I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.